Hey everyone, this is Dave Cruz from Flyber Labs, a podcast on business and innovation in the Midwest and beyond. Here you'll meet fascinating people and learn about new technologies and practices that will change how you look at life and business. Enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Flyber Labs. And I, as always, I definitely appreciate it. And this podcast is going to be pretty awesome. And so it's about healthcare. And our guest is uh, Tim Bartholo, who is the perfect person to talk about this. And I promise you will learn a lot. So this is one of our first interviews for Flyover Labs focused on big, uh, big ideas. And these ideas can, can and will impact your life and hopefully make you think about life and business in a new way. So back to Tim, uh, our guest. Tim was a practicing family physician from 1992 to 2008 in Sauk City, Wisconsin. After that, he was the chief medical officer at the Wisconsin Medical Society until 2014. And then he joined the health insurer, WEA Trust, as chief medical officer, where he is currently. And that's where we are right now in his office. So you're, gonna, you're going to learn a lot about the state of healthcare and health insurance. So let's just uh, jump right in. Thank, uh, Tim, thanks for joining us Hey, today. Dave. Good to be with you. Definitely. All right. So, so how, let's hear about your background. How did you get into medicine originally? You know, I, uh, I'd imprinted on a family doc that I had uh, when I was growing up in uh, Muscatine, Iowa. Muscatine um, has, a, uh, has a couple of great um, large businesses that were focused on efficiency. And um, I, I sort of imprinted on both of those things. So uh, uh, one, a great uh, Dean McGinty was a family doc there and sort of sent me on that course. Uh, but I also noticed as I got into healthcare. We didn't have the same behaviors as what I had seen uh, people, great industrialists, actually making efficient uh, work environments. And uh, what, um, so, you know, why did you leave medicine and go and, you know, why did you leave your practice in Sauk City? You know, I miss, I miss uh, practice every single day. Oh, do you, um, what do you miss the most? Right. Um, you know, just the human touch of it. It's... Um, when you're sitting in front of somebody who's, you know, 85, been through an automobile accident, broke their arm, uh, and I had the privilege of taking care of this uh, person, um, to not be there for them is really, it's an insecurity moment, you know, when mm-hmm. they don't have somebody they know. Yeah. So um, I miss that a lot. And, and actually, I don't feel like I ever left. What I feel like uh, was when I was practicing, uh, it was sort of patient by patient, really important work, obviously. But at the end of the day, um, you can't actually, um, in that setting, it's hard to influence the care of, um, say, 100,000 people, 110,000 people, uh, like I can here at the Trust. And, and so my career path is essentially been well i'll start with caring for people uh directly and then i realized i wanted a little bit more um opportunity to or i, I was realizing i was not effective as i as i wanted to be um doing that you know you want to get more impact right yeah well right and i and i or think different impact and i think yeah. you know i think you probably your listenership uh, is feeling this too that there are a lot of things not right, and they're not changing fast enough in order for us all to be safe in you know some ten-year horizon. Makes sense, um, and that's interesting because like, you know we've talked different times before this, and like you often bring up like individual people now, even though you work at you know decent-sized health insurer, like you still think of the people like on an individual case, which is a 
Uh, yeah, my team, right. actually, yeah. my team does too. Our pharmacist actually came out of uh, uh-huh. long-term care. Um, our chief analyst uh, for quality uh, came out of direct patient care. Uh, Ten years in nursing care, doing transport nursing and such. Um, and so, literally, our team, when 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 we're trying to work through problems, we've got these faces and sort of the obligation to those people in our head. And uh, and can you tell us a little bit about the WA Trust where you? work now? Yeah, so the WA Trust is a fascinating institution. Um, they, uh, we, we, when it was started in 1970, um, uh, teachers were uh, frustrated that they could uh, contract some illness and, and be dismissed because it would be costly in order to treat them and they would be gone from work. And so wow. a couple of the past CEOs will tell various stories. One of them was that his mom had breast cancer. And, um, and, and she was a teacher, and because she couldn't be at work and because it was going to be expensive, they let her go. Um, in uh, in uh, Madison in the 1970s, there were some pretty famous cases where people, when they became pregnant, uh, the dread illness of pregnancy, right, um, were released because um, they would be costly and they would, be, they would uh, not be able to be at work. So um, in the early days, we insured just uh, uh, just teachers, and um, and uh, it was the, the insurance was available because it was collectively bargained by a teachers union, and sort of forced uh, the school districts to um, uh, to buy that uh, insurance. And I think through time, what happened was we got more expensive than we needed to be um, by I'm estimating somewhere around 19 percent. Mm-hmm. And um, that, that, that can't exist in any marketplace, actually, at the end of the day. And, and I'm not making any political comment. I'm just saying, you know, when you, have a, when you have a product that's 20% more expensive than something else, it probably can't persist uh, in that way, right? And so um, about 2010, 2009, we actually became, um, we, we became servants to also to the employee trust fund. Um, it was a state employees, current and, and retired. And... Um, and uh, are are now uh, probably the third largest, uh, maybe even the second largest provider for uh, the employee trust fund. Uh, I think the third. And the the uh, mix of those individuals, you can understand um, uh, whether we are serving um, municipal workers or teachers, or uh, you know retired University of Wisconsin. Uh, uh, folks, everybody that we're insuring actually is paid for by tax dollars. Mm. So we take that we take that very very seriously. Um, 2011, we went through Act 10. It changed our business model, uh, and and essentially um, essentially said, look, you you aren't living in that 19% higher than marketplace um, uh, business model anymore. And again, I would say that um, something had to be done at that moment. And what it's allowed us, though, as an organization to do is to um, retool so as to um, live on marketplace premium, but actually redesign our care systems inside and, and the way that we do medical management so that we're actually a marketplace now. And I know, I know, even having been uh, a family doc and 
in uh, receiving folks or working with folks that had WA insurance, you know, 10 and 15 years ago, I know that we're a more effective com- uh, um, insurer today, really? and we're delivering what? higher quality care. And, and why is that? Can you tell us how you're a little different? And what um, you're doing? If, uh, no, no, no trade secrets, but <laughs> yeah, no. Um, uh, let's look at like um, uh, let's pick an obvious thing, like uh, like opiate care. So in the past, what we would do is we would say, well, um, you know, if if your doctor says you need something then we're going to do exactly whatever that is and we're going to do it as quickly as we can, right? And and so that led to, I think, um, you know, uh, analgesic or pain medication prescription uh, and and really no sort of um, additional uh, intelligence out of the insurance company, right? The mm-hmm. insurance company should be there to be able to say, um, does this make sense across a whole uh, group of, you know, 5,000 pers- prescribers or something? Does, does this kind of a prescription habit make sense? Um, what we realized, um, and the CDC, and of course we nationally are, are now uh, struggling with this uh, difficulty in opiate um, medication, right? Um, but what we realized was we know, we, we actually pay for a variety of prescriptions including opiates. Uh, with the CDC's advice in March of uh, 16, we knew that we could actually authorize, say, for a week of opiate medication. And then we could, um, if folks were opiate naive, right? So if you haven't had opiate before, we could authorize for a week, and that's probably going to take care of most everybody's needs. But if you need another week, we could authorize for one more week. And and if it turned out that you needed more, we actually insisted, or insist now, since uh, maybe about the last year, we have to have a conversation with you. That simple um, intervention has led to 15 concerns that were that were resolved in the first call. So I've had one call, a single call resolution of 15, well, 15 only uh, concerns, and we um, have decreased the amount of opiate on the street by 27%. Wow. So... And how many, do you know how many people, you probably don't offhand know how many people are taking opiates because if you have 15. Yeah, yeah exactly. I don't have the, I don't have yeah, the, no, no, I don't have the yeah. exact, I don't have the exact number on it. I will tell you though that I know that as compared to a year ago, um, you know, average uh, prescription per patient, we have about 110,000 pills fewer today than we did a year ago. And, and I have to tell you, I feel badly for that, right? This is where I'm still practicing medicine, right? Because... Mm-hmm. Because I can say, look, I know that some junior high kid that I would have seen in clinic is having less access to an opiate that is in grandma's or in, in you know, their mom or dad's medicine cabinet, or I'm helping our provider base, um, you know, understand uh, or make the recommendation to the patient that, you know, you this is really a dangerous drug. So, again, it's like practicing medicine with 100,000 people. Yep. Yeah, but looking down on an individual level, and and can you uh, talk a little bit about uh, kind of how pricing um, is done at hospitals? It, I mean, whatever you can share, like you know, if you go to a hospital, so like between hospitals, if there's a certain procedure, you're gonna get different pricing, and then even within a hospital or a healthcare network, you're gonna get different pricing among generally among uh, physicians. Um, yeah, I mean, can you talk to like what's what you've seen or like how variable that might be um yeah does, does that make sense yeah no let me um let me give you two quick examples for your uh for your listenership that i think um may be useful and and again i'm going to say i you know i was as you pointed out at the beginning of the, the podcast i was the chief medical officer for the for uh, our medical society in the state and then have come to work uh, at an insurer and, and it's given me 
you know, gives me access to perspectives from physicians, yeah. right? And, and what is your role as chief medical officer here? Like, what do you, yeah. what do you do? Uh, well, <laughs> then, we'll, then we'll get back to the question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so some people would say, uh, you know, chief medical officer here uh, is supposed to make sure that all the clinical programs are running correctly, and and of course that's what's, true. What's that mean? What well, like, um, so I have I I work with uh, I have our pharmacy. Uh, okay. uh, uh, responsibilities as well as um, the medical management, which is the you know should we do a back surgery or should we not? Okay. Um, and as a lot of your listeners will know, you know very often a back surgery, you know may in certain circumstances you want to do it right away, and a lot of circumstances you actually want to wait. So we have medical management. I have um, I have the um, our analytics area, and we okay. build up a really strong uh, set of uh, analysts. Um, we have uh, I have customer service. And what, what type of analytics are you looking at? Or? Um, you know, it's it's a lot of uh, you know if you can code if you can code SQL and think about how to provide better care, yeah. and think flexibly about you know how does the how does the member actually uh, get the best care for the least dollar impact to yeah, them? Yeah, that's a, those are the kinds that's of people we're looking for. So you might be looking if somebody has asthma, which doctor, provider, medications all make the most sense for that or what are you looking at yeah or, no so yeah. um uh, to to be uh, to be clear we actually stratify um our membership um we have right out about 110,000 members and then what we do is we ask um do they have a condition yeah, right yeah. and so but a lot of people will have not just one condition they'll have like five so people who have Diabetes will oftentimes have a uh, cholesterol challenge, will also have a blood pressure challenge, and maybe more. And I have to tell you, within um, the block of people we take care of, antidepressants are really, really common. So what we do is we actually stratify those individuals for the condition uh, they have, for the medication that they might be taking. Okay. And the combination of medications is sometimes very dangerous. So we, we regard that as still another mm-hmm. uh, risk like mm-hmm. opiate plus benzodiazepine. Um, and then we look at for um, each of their medications, we looked at whether they're adherent or not. So if you take somebody that, that has like one condition, like blood pressure, but they're only taking their blood pressure medication, it, it appears to us they're only picking up the medication 20% of the time. And we can tell that by the data feeds that we have. Then, then we regard that as a as a as an opportunity, right? That that's at least a conversation that we need to have with the member yeah, about. Yeah. Do you realize? So you guys put a lot of attention and care on your members. Like, do all do all pairs do uh, this much uh, detail work? Um, you know, I don't. Yeah, I think do. all of us try to do this. Yeah, yeah. I, I I have a particularly talented team. I have to say, okay. and uh, and you know, we have of these hundred and ten thousand people, we have probably about. Um, uh, Thirty-five thousand of them stratified in this way. Okay, all right. With you know that they actually we know that they have a series of conditions that we are we are um, we are going after carefully. Okay. So all right, well, that helps us uh, kind of understand what you do. And uh, you but, asked about pricing. Yeah, exactly. Let's get back to the pricing. Yes, because it, pricing is just. I mean, it's crazy out there. That's uh, from a consumer perspective, it's impossible to see where you're going, or it's very hard to figure out true pricing. Um, but also from the pair perspective, you see probably a lot more pricing. So just curious, kind of a uh, what you what you've seen, what, whatever you can share. Yeah. So um, we have um, um, we've seen a, a couple of places where I think um, that trouble me a lot. Um, we think about care. You know, if somebody's really sick, 
and they want to go to a physician and figure out how they're going to have their five conditions taken care of, um, then then you need you know you need real medical brilliance or team brilliance, right? You need you need a terrific nurse, terrific pharmacist, terrific. Um, uh, physician thinking together about how it is that they're going to uh, impact the care of this, you know. And I think for most of us in healthcare, we want that, mm. right? We, we don't need necessarily, you know, uh, I don't need big facilities. I don't need marble and waterfalls and fish tanks, and I don't need that. Um, what I need right. is brilliant practitioners and teams, right, doing great work. Well, there's a whole um, there's a whole area of medicine right now that I think um, to have to have each of us as patients or potential patients thinking about how we can use our resources best, um, you can get in, 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 in there are these things that I think are commodities, like an MRI or like mm-hmm. lab work mm-hmm. or like a drug. And let me take MRI for instance. In this state, you can pay you know four thousand dollars for an MRI, um, and and I can get very often um, a a either similar or identical MRI at uh, one of the folks in the state for 600 bucks, mm. and and uh, Smart Choice MRI. Um, uh, your listenership could Google that if they want to. They find out that you know there's certain GE equipment and certain very nice bricks and mortar, but not way way fancy. You're not going to see marble and fish tanks and right. such. Um, and and um, does that what, include the reading of the? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's yeah, yeah. right. So six hundred bucks, for, you know, or something for uh, for the reading, and the reading is uh, you know by some folks that are affiliated with the Cleveland Clinic, right? So really? wow. Yeah. Um, so anyway, there's a there's a model of a of a commodity. Um, some will say, well, the MRI isn't quite the same and such, but I think it really the burden is to you know Wisconsin providers. To help um, citizens of the state actually get closer and closer to a less expensive and $600 MRI, right? And it's why would it cost seven times more? Why would it? Can you help me with that? Right. Um, another example is um, is in in laboratory. Uh, you know, getting a getting a complete blood count or something. Um, sometimes you'll have uh, providers who will own their own labs, right? And you'll have one price uh, for that lab, but but oftentimes you'll have uh, LabCorp or Quest or somebody who actually rents space down the hallway, mm. and and if you just compare those prices, or you can ask your doc, right, doctor, uh, you know, instead of having this laboratory done here rather than there, um, would it, uh, you know, would it save me any money, yeah. right? So in the past, right, in the past, maybe we had sort of first dollar coverage and the patient wasn't involved in the price of their care, right? And and what that allowed us, you know, what happened was the patient was never aware of what, you know, the prices were. Maybe, you know, we all didn't quote unquote care. Now, where you have patients who literally have, you know, 2,000, 5,000, and even within, I'm not proud, but we have... We have um, we have customers who have had to elect into ten thousand dollar deductibles, mm-hmm. and when that happens, the person with chronic disease can barely afford that. So, should they care about the MRI I and mean, what it costs? Right, right. Should they care about it if they yeah. need it? Right? If they if they need it, should they care about the cost? Should they care about the cost of uh, of laboratory and drugs and various of these things that, frankly, I just I think are commodities. And yeah, let's keep going with that a little bit. Um, I want to come back to. The pricing thing, but with um, you know, you talk about you know how it's going to be harder for people to afford it, and that's one reason why you can't you know you, you quit your practice and came in here so because you, you probably could see 
healthcare is becoming less and less affordable. Um, yeah, can you talk a little bit more about kind of the premiums you're seeing and then uh, kind of like lower and middle class, like their salaries and like how that's going to kind of play out here in the future? Yeah. So, okay, so, um, you know, so I insure teachers and uh, through our Department of Public Instruction um, and some of our uh, new media outlets, uh, uh, we can actually identify, you know, what, what each of the public uh, teachers actually makes or people who support them, right? So even like um, our, our administrative support, our bus drivers, our, our the people who, um, you know, cook the meals and such, and these are all, you know, uh, necessary uh, jobs done by some terrific people, right? And and all of these are honorable jobs, but some of them only actually, you know, they make maybe seventeen, eighteen, nineteen thousand um, dollars. And even the starting teacher, let's say in lacrosse, for instance, uh, generally speaking, is around something just just less than thirty thousand mm-hmm. dollars. So. So what we recognize as um, as a company is that we're currently at we are currently at a four thousand dollar per family deductible, and we know that families who are who are at seventeen thousand dollars or eighteen thousand dollars or even somewhere below the median of let's call it fifty thousand um, dollars are all struggling with a four thousand dollar family um, deductible. So if even a fifty thousand uh, dollar income for the moment, let's just consider that. Do they have a premium too? Sorry. Yeah, no. Okay. Well, they yeah, they yeah, may yeah. be making a premium contribution for yeah, that, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, but let's say they let's just magically yeah. say they're not. Right. 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 Okay. And they're making fifty thousand uh, dollars now. If you tax them at about twenty percent tax rate, that gives them a disposable income of somewhere around forty thousand dollars. And now what I've done is I've said if you have a chronic disease, you have a four thousand dollar, you know, uh, uh, deductible. You're probably going to spend all of that, right? And if you don't have a chronic disease and you have a $4,000 deductible, maybe you won't use it all, but it's still a risk to you, right? As a, as a, you know, as a, as a worker in Wisconsin. So the, the, the Department of Public Instruction actually allows about 200,000 people to be lined up one next to another. And, and we don't, we're not pretending this. We, we happen to know that, you know, the middle of that salary range is, is low enough that um, our deductible is pressing up against, and, and it's not just WA, it's the entire insurance industry's deductibles are bumping up against their ability to pay. But what I see, because, uh, you know, and for our block of, of, of uh, people we're trying to take care of, um, they are all paid for by the taxpayer, right? The taxpayer right now doesn't really want to pay, and, and I understand this, right? They don't, they don't have the money to pay more in taxes, and frankly, more than you know, sort of keeping up with inflation. And yet healthcare for, um, you know, way over a decade has been increasing at what they've called a, a healthcare consumer price index. Yeah. But, but that's a fiction, right? Healthcare consumer price index over a long enough period of time means that, you know, you're going to in healthcare somehow expect to have, uh, you know, greater increases in the cost of care than wages. And you're, you're definitely going to outprice yourself at some point in time. So if you're a low wage earner, some people would say, well, we should focus more on poverty than we should on health care. If you're a low wage earner, I'm not sure there's a difference, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, if, yeah. You're, if you're yeah, a 16,000, you know, $22,000 wage earner, you're working at, you know, you're working at, uh, uh, you know, you're flipping burgers or something for a living, you're there's roofing. No you can, yeah. yeah. 
what happens is 6% increases in healthcare, you know, is going to outpace your ability to pay for it at some point in time. And I think a lot of the population, that's what I'm feeling, yeah. is a lot of the population is, is being priced out. So what do you think, uh, so what is the magical answer? No, um, but uh, so, yeah, you know, what, yeah, what do you see are some answers to this? And like, you know, maybe this plays into working with you guys working from Milwaukee too, I don't know, but what are you guys doing? And, you know, yeah, because it's two-sided, what is the answer from your perspective, from the payer perspective? And then is there an answer more from the provider perspective too but let's start with the payer and like what you guys are doing yeah so to help uh, these work so families. now you know for for the for you and your listeners just remember that i've been three years uh, a payer and all the rest of my life really i'm a i'm a provider yeah yeah and and, and so i i don't think there you know i don't think there are demons in the system per se i, I think they're you know they're um they're necessary contributors that have to participate maybe at a different level, um, but but we need everybody, right? You, we need the docs, we need nurses, need pharmacists, need hospitals, we need drug manufacturers, we need... The question is, how should a community, when it puts all of its resource in the you know in a pot, how can the community take care of itself and get, get the job done, you know, as equally, frankly, as, as possible? Um, so from from our perspective, I, I I think the payers have not done a good enough job articulating how constrained um, for us anyway individual um, school districts have been. Mm. I, I think that's uh, I think that's been um, we we've not made as as large a point or articulated effectively to our provider partners. Mm. Um, but we are now, right? We are saying, look, um, you know, there is no more, in, in our case, for the public worker funded by the taxpayer, there is no more cash that's going to support 6% increases. Yeah. So we've, we've needed to be more honest in those conversations. And frankly, then we've had to make some decisions sometimes, right? We've actually, we've had to have, where we identify uh, providers that are just too expensive, we've actually taken them out of our network. Okay. And for you know, for members who have been loyal, you know, customers of ours for a long time, that you know, it doesn't feel very good because it disrupts perhaps. Oh, yeah, really if they really sucks. need that yeah. expensive provider, um, then then it disrupts those relationships. We don't like that. On the flip side, if we don't if we don't get honest about it, right, and if we don't say no, listen, we we can't do this for the you know the hundred and ten thousand people we're responsible for. If we don't say. You know, 10% increases. Uh, you know, uh, 21 months ago, and then another 10% increase another year later. If we don't say that's too much, we're not doing our job. So part of what we're doing is getting honest. I like that. All right, that, that's why we're talking because I know you guys are doing some innovative, uh, disruptive things, and we're almost out of time here, unfortunately. But I, one one thing that. Uh, surprises me sometimes is the the pricing we go back to pricing just want the audience to kind of understand like if you go to a health network you know and you are getting like a knee surgery the same health network or the same uh, same group um that even among physicians there can be maybe not knee surgery is the best example there can be big variances in pricing yeah, no, no. There's uh, the Wisconsin Health Information Organization, uh, big, big data, uh, true big data, sort of 400 million claims lines, put into a uh, put into a central database has taught us that in every specialty that I've studied, and I've studied um, probably not fewer than eight now, um, in every single specialty, 
um, for sort of stereotypic things like angioplasty, hip, knee, such. Um, the low-cost, high-quality provider is different from the high-cost quality provider. Both of them have quality, right? But high and low-cost, the difference is about 35%. Mm. And, 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 and is this within the same... So is this within the same provider? Are you talking? It can be within the same. Yeah, so same it could be just different physicians, even within the same provider. Absolutely, could they have thirty-five percent difference. Yeah, no, yeah, individual physicians, even within the same hospital system, even within the same you know physician group, huh. and we haven't had sufficient ways. In fact, if your listeners can help us figure out how to feed back to those physicians, um, what it is that their resource use is. Uh, the WIO database uh, that I, I referenced a moment ago actually uh, converts uh, sort of the the build amount uh, of a service to a standard amount. So we literally know that in a market basket of providing a knee, that we've got providers that can provide that knee for one money, and then we've got providers who provide high quality care, yeah. similar high quality yeah. care, and I can't tell the difference in the quality, but for 35% more. And we, as a state, we have got to get we have got to get sober and diligent about helping our providers understand, and they don't have a way to know this right now that's sufficient. We need to have a way to help them understand that um, uh, you know if 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 they have the opportunity to provide um, care with sort of minimal intervention in the body, it's actually not only better for cost, but it's way safer, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you're not getting any value out of that 35% extra, that's just harm. No, no, just waste that can be applied to other places. Or they, one other thing I money. should tell yeah. you too, you know, the, the physicians, a lot of folks have, have uh, spent a lot of time beating up the physicians over, well, you know, they're, they're just using all these resources. Um, it, it isn't anybody's fault, right? But if, if you employ a whole group of physicians, right, is your motivation to have them use fewer services right in a fee-for-service system where the yeah. revenue collapses or is your motivation to uh, you know use more services uh, and and optimize uh, revenues yeah. right so I think it's a business model challenge and again I don't find any demons in this I say we got to figure out you know how to make the business models uh, uh, work smarter it's part of the reason that we've leaned into bundling yeah right so that uh, you know as as we say okay for a hip we're going to pay one money. You get efficient. Uh, you don't just lose, you know, the the reimbursements you, say, you, you might make have. money. Yeah, yeah. You, you actually make money yeah. by doing the right thing. Yeah, and then, right. If somebody gets infected, then they lose money because you maybe you didn't do the right thing. Yeah, <laughs> right. well, and, and yeah, yeah. I mean, we actually expect in those circumstances a warranty, right? Yeah. yeah. And and why shouldn't we? We expect that with our car. Exactly. Um, all right. Well, one more question, and uh, maybe we've kind of talked about some of this, but you know, what a, what are you? A, excited about and maybe it's your model you know working with uh um milwaukee and kind of pushing down costs but is there anything else you're excited about in healthcare that you're like you know whether it's some um, yeah some new innovation or whatever it might be or it's a, a new model or um you know i, I see um i see big reasons to be um, optimistic i see care teams erupting uh where in complicated care, we, we've got nurses and pharmacists and physicians all working together. 
uh, right? I'm excited for that. Uh, we've got to be really, really careful to support those teams with information systems that make sense. Um, and in fact, sometimes where, you know, the, the information systems are competing with, you know, should we build a new hospital or should we do information systems? Or should we, you know, you know make sure that we have that care team intact? And, and I urge us all as, you know, citizens of Wisconsin, we we got to be putting our shoulder into, you know, healthcare is about human beings taking care of human beings. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the second thing I'm really excited for is, uh, you know, I've, I've in the innovation community, um, I've seen a whole series of, uh, of uh, you know, new analytics efforts that are, are helping make transparency to, you know, people like us. And, and maybe, you know, so people like us and maybe your listeners, you know, we've had the benefit of big education and such. But how about for the guy that, or the, or the family, the, you know, the single mom with a couple of kids who doesn't have, who's racing between two or three jobs. Um, how is it that we all can be a really effective in helping them get the information they need so that they can actually access the system properly? And, and I'm seeing the eruption of, you know, I could probably, uh, uh, you know, save 12, 15 little companies, right, that have got some really important ideas. Um, I have all of our listeners sort of think about, uh, uh, think about like 1910 when we didn't have cars, Right, and suddenly there were you know 40 car manufacturers. Mm-hmm. Now everybody had a little different idea, right? Not everybody you know could do as well as everybody else. But for you know 20 or 30 years, we innovated in this gigantic way around transportation. Let's have let's have that moment now. And and by the way, we as a company are looking for folks that can do that. Nice. All right. Awesome. Well, I think we're gonna have to have a part two of this podcast because this is a we could talk for hours on this, but. Uh... Yeah. So anyways, Tim, really appreciate your knowledge and your passion. And uh, yeah, I love how you're going, just going at it. <laughs> and, I so appreciate what you guys, uh, you know, as, as innovators, I appreciate the innovating community doing the work it, it's doing now. And frankly, the security of our health in the future is going to depend upon what you all do. And, and thank you for what you do. Definitely. All right. And thanks everyone for listening to the episode of Flyover, Flyover Labs. As always, I definitely appreciate it. And we'll see you next time. Bye, Tim. Bye, everyone. See you, David.